Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends and peers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got so confident. In this episode, I Skype with writer, actor, comedian, and performer Lauren Ashley Smith. We chat about surrounding yourself with images of diversity, learning what you can and can't live with, intentionally teaching people how to treat you, and so much more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? with guest Lauren Ashley Smith. Hey, girl. Hello. Thanks for doing this podcast with me. Of course. Thanks for asking me. Um, so it, it, it started by, well, confidence is something that like I've always wanted to work on in my life. And, you know, I've been in therapy for like six years now. And it's always just something that I've, I struggle with. And before COVID happened, um, I just was asking friends of mine to like grab coffee with me so I could pick their brains, like a very informal conversation. And then COVID hit and I was like, well, shit, can't do that anymore, but maybe we can Skype about it. And then I was like, right. maybe this will be helpful for other people too. So I might as well just record these. Um, so I did. And I've just learned so much about other people and also myself and, um, yeah, so I'm just going to continue to do it. And uh, so I'm really I'm really grateful for your time. I know you're super busy. Um, how are you? I am good. I am. How am I? I mean, I'm that's good. such a loaded question these days. Yeah, I, I think I'm actually good because I think I'm good at like compartmentalizing and just, you know, at a certain point being good is like a survive it's a survival mechanism and also like an act of like um revolution and insubordination so and I think in the grand scheme of things I am good like I have a place to live and I have food like all of my basic needs are met so like I'm good yeah I mean it's truly like the question probably should be like are you surviving adequately in this exact moment (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) that's probably a better question uh but you were nominated for tca award yeah that was a surprise i just i wasn't paying attention to like when things like are coming out or anything like that and i didn't realize and in a friend texted it to me is how i found out and i was like so surprised and so honored because i respect the the TCA so much and I've always looked to that list to be like wow that's that's like the best in TV from the year and so to be working on a show that is on it is like mind-blowing that is so mind-blowing and so exciting um well I guess my first question is do you consider yourself a confident person I do I do consider myself a confident person Yes, I know I answered that unconfidently, but I do. Uh, is that something that comes naturally to you or something that like you've been working on in your adult life? Um, I think it comes naturally to me now because my parents were very good about instilling confidence oh, in me were. and my sisters. Yeah, and like I, I think my thing is I'm not just like blanket statement boldly confident, but I am confident about the things that I know that I'm good at Mm -hmm. or that I know that I can be confident about, which is like, I know that I'm smart. Like I know that for a fact. So I'm confident about my intelligence and I know that I'm um, thoughtful. So I'm confident about that. So the things that I can be confident about, like, I'm like, I know I'm a good comedy writer. I'm confident about that. 
if it's like just in every day, like, am I confident about like my knowledge about, you know, ornithology? No, because I don't know anything about it. Right, but right. I consider myself to be generally confident about the things that I've examined within myself. What? So I don't, I'm not familiar with your uh, familial life. You have how many sisters? Two. I'm the oldest of three. Oh, you're the oldest. Do you feel like mm-hmm. being the oldest did anything to uh, give you confidence, having like two younger siblings that look up to you? Probably. I think like my parents really raised us as like a unit and we're pretty closely spaced out. There's two and a half years between each of us. And so I definitely was given like responsibility as the oldest child and like a leadership role. Mm-hmm. But my parents just were very like honestly like textbook parents in the way that they were like very supportive encouraged us to try our best didn't criticize us the only thing they asked for for us was to like try our best Mm -hmm. as opposed to like having you know standards they had standards like for our academics and and our the way that we treat other people but it wasn't like an arbitrary you know benchmark it was like did you try your best? Do you feel happy and satisfied with the effort that you gave it? Then great. That's so great. That's a really great, yeah, that's a, that's, I didn't have something like that. And that sounds so, um, having that like consistency, that message be consistent sounds like it's very important and giving, instilling confidence in children. Yeah. And like it helps and it, I think that like looking at it from an outside perspective, it'd be like, well, you could just say you tried your best, even if you didn't, but it felt like such an honor system. And it really made it so that like, I would be like, well, it felt like I tried my best, but like, did I actually, and sometimes the answer was yes. Sometimes the answer was no, which then made me feel like, okay, here's where I can do better. Or, and it also really helped me, um, learn that my parents love for me was not tied to my achievements yeah, and that other people's love for me shouldn't be tied to my achievements and that those are separate things, which I think grew confidence. Yeah. That's, that is so big. Um, did you ever experience something growing up that like shook your confidence, whether it was like a friend group or I think a lot of people on this uh, podcast have talked about how middle school was just like, like wreaked havoc on their confidence. Did you ever experience mm-hmm. anything growing up that kind of knocked you down? Um, absolutely. Like at several points. And um, that's uh, the other thing where my parents came in. Like I went to, um, how do I put it? So I learned to read when I was really, really young. And so by the time I got to kindergarten, I like fully was reading chapter books wow. and stuff. And so my, <laughs> so my teacher, like, would be, I, I, let me say this. So systemically, because I went to school mostly in a white county okay. as a black child, I experienced a lot of teachers that resented me or did not like me because I was smart wow. and, or they would try to downplay my intelligence. So, um, I would in kindergarten, for example, I would raise my hand. The, the teacher would say like, what letter is this or whatever? And I'd raise my hand. She'd say not Lauren or, <laughs> but then she'd also like have me read to the class. Like when she went on a smoke break or, I would have teachers tell me, oh, well, she's not, um, you know, you're not able to do these things because the implied reason is because you're black and um, poor or whatever, and we don't care about you. 
So I had many moments from authority figures where my confidence was um, threatened, I would say, and dismantled. Um, And so having my parents that like built me up, like um, when I was in high school, I was like very into like theater and drama. And I was like the president of the drama club and one of the best performers in the department. But then they did a play like my junior year spring, which is like a big deal, like when you're in, in high school. And it was a play about a family. And so I didn't get a part at all because it was the only black person at the school, like in the program. And I was devastated by that because it felt unfair, but also like, I was like, wow, I must not be good. I must not be all these things. So my dad basically like, he like held me while I cried for like hours and hours. And then he, who he was like, he's a professor. He basically started my high school speech and debate program just so I could have an outlet to perform. And I think that was actually my sophomore year of high school, I'm thinking. But so he cre- he basically started it from scratch, became the coach for the whole team. Then we won like all these things over the next course of years, like state and regionals and all these things. Because my dad was like, my child's confidence was like absolutely destroyed. Let me find another way to um, build it back up. Wow. And so that was, that was like a moment that really, really devastated me. And thankfully my parents like cared enough to try to help fix it. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine how that must've felt for you and how that feels for people who don't have like strong parental figures in their life to step up and be like, well, I'll start this speech and debate team. How did you like, I mean, I feel like you kind of talked about it, but how did you deal with having adult authority figures downplay your intelligence or tell you that you can't do something? Did you just like allow yourself to, it sounds like you allowed yourself to feel it, cried to your support system, i.e. your parents, and, and then like just kept going. Is that right? How do you come back from that? I, I think my initial impulse is always to be like, obviously hurt, but then I would try to think critically about the experiences. So like you ask about middle school, for example, I skipped seventh and eighth grade. So I was only in middle school for a very short time. And during the time where I was still in middle school, I would take my like gym and art and like choir or whatever at middle school in the morning and then a small bus would pick up me and only me and take me to high school for the rest of the day and I remember my first day of that so I was like 12 and I got to high school and I think I arrived like the timing of the bus was weird so I arrived like after I think before the period I was supposed to start next had started and while the other period was still going so it's like the only kid in the hallway And I ran into like a counselor, like a hall monitor woman, like an authority figure, this older white woman. And she, I asked her, I was like, hi, is third period still happening or is it fourth period? And she immediately assumed that I was like skipping class and being truant and like yelled at me instead of like helping me understand where to go on my first day of high school as a 12 year old. And I was so like, like just like shaken and hurt by that. But then I thought critically, I was like, okay, this has nothing to do with me. That's clearly about her bias and how she perceived me in the world. I know I'm in the right place I'm supposed to be. And in fact, the reason why she yelled at me is because I'm exceptional. 
And, wow. and instead of instead of what she perceived, which was that I was less than, which is how she was trained to look at me by society. But I thought critically for a few minutes and was like, oh, no, 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 that has nothing to do with me because I'm here because I'm 12 and in high school. I'm not, <laughs> I, I know I'm not in the wrong here. That has everything to do with her. And so I can't take that on, unfortunately. Wow. That is such an adult mentality to have as a 12 year old, being able to take a step back and be like, oh, wait a second, this is on you. You have some fucked up thing and I'm actually exceptional and that's why I'm here. And like to choose to, 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 choose to believe in yourself and, and just like have that confidence, that's just such an adult. I, I still have problems doing that now as an adult being like choosing to accept a criticism, critique, negative experience, and choosing to believe that it's a reflection of me versus really it's a reflection of that person. Mm-hmm. But that's such a skill that you have to cultivate. And so hearing you talk about how you had it as a 12-year-old, I'm like, it sounds like you were kind of forced into developing that skill because society uh, treated you unfairly. Is that is, – yeah. am I wording that correctly? Yeah, and like it's – I had a lovely childhood and lovely growing up. And there were also a lot of positive experiences that helped me to, you know, develop an inner confidence. But I I think that from a young age, because, because I had many, and I've had many experiences where like I was wrong and, you know, all those things, but because I had many experiences where people treated me badly because I was actually like, I was operating um, differently from their expectations because I was smarter than they expected. I started to recognize that pattern pretty quickly, which helped develop that critical thinking interrogating moment to be like, oh, this is because I'm acting outside of what they expect, Mm. but that's because of their expectations, not because of me. Yeah. Wow. How would, would you say being, because being 12 years old in high school in and of itself is like, a huge one, a huge like accomplishment. Also, I can imagine is pretty scary being like young amongst all these older kids. Do you feel like being a 12 year old in high school, um, attributed to your confidence in any way, whether it's totally positively or negatively? I think so. Because like, I I just had to, I, I think that I'm, I, from that experience, learned to be adaptable mm. and also to be at ease and at comfort in in situations where I was not probably set up to be feeling the most comfortable. And that also comes from being like one of a couple black students, um, you know, and being in the minority a lot really helps you be like, get used to discomfort. And mm. so if you're used to discomfort your tolerance and threshold for that goes up and so you're able to be more confident in the face of it I think yeah so like if I'm in a situation where I'm like oh my gosh I'm completely in over my head I still feel over my head but I also have the coping mechanisms I think built up from you know a life of being sometimes in the other position right so you went to high school you graduated high school then then what for you 
Then I went to college. Okay. And what did you, how was that? What did you study? Um, I went to college and I studied um, American studies. I went to a small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania. So I grew up in St. Louis and then I went to college in Pennsylvania because I really wanted to go to school on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it was a mostly white institution. I think at the time there were probably 26 black students at the school um, and probably out of 2,000. So oh. small, small amount yeah. of um people of color. Yeah. And, but I had a lovely college experience. And again, like at that point, age wise, at least like I had already my maturity level and my like social development at that point had been, um, in lockstep with my school peers, even though they weren't my age peers. So I felt pretty like, yeah. Comfortable. And then you moved to LA. Then I moved to New York. I lived in New York for 13 years. Oh, wow. And then um, I just moved to L.A. maybe uh, about a year ago. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, cool. And then in New York is where you started doing UC- stuff with UCB? Yeah, I started doing um, – I first started doing um, the theater company, The Story Pirates. And I got in as an actor, and I was in the training. And I was like, the people that I really think are super funny – I kept asking all of them, like, how did they get so funny, basically? And they all said improv classes. And I had done some short-form improv in college, but I was like, oh. So I started taking class at the Magnet Theater first. And then I did um, a little bit of UCB, but mostly at the Magnet. And went up through the training, you know, program and got on teams and stuff. And really, like, that's how I started, like, developing my comedy muscle. Okay, yeah. So then talk – if you could talk a little bit about, like – because you didn't go to college for writing, is that right? Mm-hmm. You started yep. doing that um, once you once you delved into Magnet, UCB, Story mm-hmm. Pirates world. How did you develop your confidence as a writer in that world? Um, did you take like classes about writing? Is it? Did you just talk to different people? How did you sort of um, parlay yourself into that into that space? So when I moved to New York, I had to work, you know, to live there. And so I was very grateful to get a job um, as a production assistant at VH1. So all the while that I was taking um, improv and sketch comedy classes, I was moving up the ranks as a producer in TV. So I spent a lot of time like um, writing scripts, reading scripts. Um, I did mostly VH1 news and red carpet. So I did a lot of red carpet interviews and stuff. And like, there were like 90 second news packages um, and then I moved over to like doing like all those shows, like the 40 greatest, whatever, a hundred, you know, greatest kid stars or whatever. And that meant a lot of sitting and interviewing comedians and getting them and like pitching jokes for them. So that's when I started like really being like, oh, okay. Like this is how a joke sounds on TV. And this is the rhythm of a funny joke on TV. And when you're a producer, um, on those types of shows, you like write in like the rough voiceover or the rough like jokes you want. And then you hand it over to the staff writers at the network who um, like make them better. And they pulled me aside very generously. One of the the head writer at VH1 at the time, he was like, have you ever thought about, you know, writing? Because I we really think your scripts are, they come into us really funny. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice to say. I do really have a passion for comedy. And I was writing for Reductress at the time and like trying to become a writer, but didn't really see a pathway. And so they really like sort of um, generously like 
kind of took me under their wing. And um, then I like basically submitted a packet for the second season of the Best Week Ever reboot and got staffed as a writer and then have been writing since then. It's incredible. Did you ever experience anything in that period of time that like shook your confidence? Because I can imagine going from a producer role into the writer's room, was there like a big learning curve or did you feel very comfortable at ease and you just sort of uh, went up from there or were there moments where you were like, I fucking don't know what I'm doing? I felt pretty confident and I think it's because I became a writer in an environment that I was already very comfortable in. Like it working at VH1 with the same kind of people, even if I didn't work with them closely for upwards of probably six years. So I didn't have to meet anybody new. I didn't have to. And at the time I was a producer and I went from being a producer on a show to a writer on the same show. Right. So I understood the culture of the show. I understood the voice, the tone. I knew the talent, like I knew the writers. So that was a pretty seamless transition because it's not like I like, left best week ever as a producer and then staffed on a completely new show that I had to like get caught up on. Mm -hmm. I knew the show, the huge like, um, advantage, honestly, for my writing job to be at a place where it's like, I still sat in the same seat. I had the same desk. It was the same comedians. It was the same show that I'd helped like, you know, produce from season one. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful. So I don't think I really had any moments where I felt like, you know, shaken up in that situation. What about after, like after that going into a new show or how did a, how did you get, how did a black lady sketch show come about even? Um, because I, so I was working on, um, watch what happens live, which I like truly loved working on that show so much. It was, it's, it was the most just amazing job. And I really had no plans to leave there. But um, when I saw that Robin Thede, who was my true idol and still is, um, she got her own show. And I always looked up to her because she was the first black woman to be the head writer of a late night show. And so I had had like my eyes trained on what she was doing because she was like a a real North Star for me. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that she was getting a late night show and um, I was like, I want to work on that show. And I didn't have like agents or manager or anything. And so... Um, but thankfully someone forwarded me the packet and they forwarded it like truly two days before it was due. And so I like canceled my whole life and like made the packet knowing in my mind, Rebecca, I was like, there's no way I'm getting this job. 100% not getting the job at all. They don't know me, but they'll have my email for the next time they ask for submissions. That was the only reason why I submitted. And then I got an interview and then I got the job. And I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. So I left Watch What Happens Live to do the show. And then, so I started as staff writer. And then I became the head writer um, of that show. And then I just, Robin and I, like, you know, really vibed and enjoyed working together. So when she sold um, a Black Lady Sketch show, she asked me to come. That's why I came to LA um, to to work on the show with her. Oh, wow. That's like, that's incredible. Um. I feel like I relate to that moment of being like, I have 24 hours to do this thing and I'm not going to get the thing, but like maybe like, and then, I mean, that's, that's like a dream. Um, that's truly a dream to write for late night. And then. Yeah. Like I truly cannot stress enough how much I was not expecting to get the job and was in fact expecting it was purely tactical. The packet, it was not with any hopes of getting the job. 
Yeah. Would you say that like Robin is a, is it like a mentor to you? Yes, absolutely. Like she's just like a, a comedy, like knows comedy so deeply and intimately that like everything she says is like, wow, I really never did think of it that way. And now I will believe that for the rest of my life. Yeah. I feel like having a mentor probably helps with confidence. I mean, at least for me, it does. Do you relate to that at all? Absolutely. I think that like, when you have, like, for me, I, I say this a lot, but it's like, I don't, for someone who's a comedy writer, I don't have a ton of imagination, like when it comes to my real life. And for me, I really have to see someone do something or see that it can be done to even consider that I can do it. And so like when Tina Fey became the first woman to be the head writer of SNL, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't realize that they weren't having women be head writers up until now. And also what the head writer, I want to do that. And same when Robin became the first black one to be head writer, I was like, there's, that's what I was like, that makes me think that I can do it. And, um, and I think similarly with mentorship, like if you have, you know, people in your corner that are knowledgeable and that can help you, you know, just shed some light based on their past experiences that always help. I like, having a lot of information so I can like sort of empathetically be like, okay, kind of absorb their wisdom and experience to help inform, you know, how I move forward. Yeah. In doing these conversations, it seems like not just in the entertainment industry in any career that anybody's in, but that representation and seeing yourself reflected in the area that you want to be a part of is key is vital is super important I was talking to um a woman Jadea Kirsch who I just did an interview with and she's um a rodeo queen and she does rodeo she's the first black rodeo queen in Arkansas Mm -hmm. and she was talking about how she has all these questions about because they there's like a category about like how you're to style your hair and she's like well I want to wear my natural hair but there's I have Mm -hmm. nobody to ask because I am the first of 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 like me there is no exactly. I have no black mentor to ask can I do my hair like this and I don't know if I'm gonna get disqualified and this is just in like the rodeo world um and we were just we were just talking about how important it is to have that like representation to see and when you're the first and it sounds like you know Robin is the first and you're following her in her footsteps it's like it's such a shitty situation to be have to be in and I can't speak to it because I don't know what that's like I don't know where I'm going with this it's it's just a tangent no it's a great point yeah and it's like interesting because like I think just personality wise, I don't love wasting my time. I don't like doing things that feel like, um, let's say busy work or like, you know, it's just an exercise. Like I want to know that the things that I'm doing are going to be fruitful in some way. And that might be why that part of my brain needs to like think or really deeply know that something is possible for me to pursue it. Because the last thing I want is for me to like, pour my heart and soul into something for something no one they weren't considering me for ever to begin with period yeah totally and I think it has a lot to do with confidence too and I don't I don't think that you're alone I think the majority of people feel like they need to see it happen to to know that like it is possible it's not a waste 
quote unquote waste of time or busy work or what have you. Um, so I feel like just representation in general plays a really big part in building confidence. And when that's not available to you, that is hard. That is extremely yeah. difficult. Um, in your career, actually, I'll broaden the question. It could be like even on a personal level with relationships because I know that um, people on this podcast specifically have talked about how relationships have impacted their confidence, whether it's like a romantic relationship or relationship with their family members. Um, can you speak to anything in like non-career sector, whether it's romantic relationships or otherwise, or fam- familial relationships that have, that has either positively affected your confidence or negatively affected your confidence? Yeah, I think that, um, when I first met my wife, she's a very direct person and very like, she is so confident in who she is. And when I met her, I was 24 and pretty confident, but also 24. And she was 25, but she's a different type of person. Um, And one of the first conversations we had, she asked me, she said, I just need to know, are you confident in who you are as a person? Because if you're not, this isn't going to work. That's what she said wow. flat out. Like <laughs> within like the first two weeks of meeting each other. And I was like, the hell? I was like, oh my God. And <laughs> I, I was like, I mean, of course I am. Am I? Like it really was an, it was the question. No one had ever asked me that before. Yeah. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I guess I am. But, and I'm not, I really believe that like, I'm my own person and I choose to be with the person that I'm with because I love her and we make each other better, but I don't need other people to be like, you know, the, to be me, but there is something to having someone that really supports me. And again, it's not about like what I do, but she supports me and loves me because of who I am outside Mm. of everything that gives me an inner confidence. Um, that grows and anchors my inner confidence that I already had. Yeah. That's so important. What do you do or do you do anything to practice and cultivate confidence on like a daily basis, whether that's like, um, some people like have to work out or go on walks or, uh, I try to meditate twice a day. I do TM and that is really grounding and, and, some of these things don't even aren't directly related to confidence, you know, but like they are indirectly. I'm curious, do you do anything in your daily life that that helps you with that, that grounds you, that gives you that confidence? Yeah, I try to I would say one thing I that definitely off the top of my head that made me think of is that recently I made the decision to Um, go on Instagram and make sure that I was looking at images that were um, that look like the real world that we live in. So that means that like, Mm -hmm. like when I started wearing my hair natural, I followed a bunch of natural hair, uh, people with natural hair, like not even like people that, you know, are natural hair bloggers or whatever, but making sure that I wasn't subconsciously tricking myself into thinking that my hair, my hair texture or my skin color or my features are not valuable. And I think that by like surrounding myself with images, um, of people that don't look like maybe like 
what the tip, like just making sure that I'm looking at diverse body types, hair types, skin colors, not even my own, um, different, just making, because that is what makes you remember that you live in a real world and Mm -hmm. not in the TV or the computer or the phone. Um, and that helps me with confidence and also helps me to just keep a real perspective about the world. Um, and I do find that I be I feel more confident when I feel strong. So that's why I like to exercise. Because I'm like, I, so much of like TV and like joke writing is not quantifiable. So like you can't be like, okay, that joke is the funniest it will ever get. It's the tightest it will ever get because there's no number that you can put on it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you just kind of have to. It's very like um, intuitive. But when I mm-hmm. do things like I lifted this many pounds or I loaded the dishwasher things that I can like really check off a list make me feel confident yeah so they're like mix- tangible yeah so like mixing like mixing things that you can tangibly check off with things that you cannot am I wording Correct. that correctly Okay, yeah, that yeah. that's something that I could absolutely be better at to help with my confidence because I feel like I live in a world of there isn't, there are no checkbox, like check and you're done or like check and it's 100% correct the way it should be and the funniest right. and the greatest, um, which I guess anybody who has a creative career, you don't really live in that space because there is no, as much as we, as much as sometimes I wish there was, there is no like, uh, notification system for when something is quote unquote, the best, the funniest, the whatever. Exactly. Um, like for every, you know, satisfying moment where you get to like, you know, send a script or send a pitch or whatever, there are days and days and weeks and weeks of like ruminating on things and fixing it and whatever, where you don't get that satisfied feeling. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's like this Instagram I followed called like literally like satisfying cleaning or something where like, there's something satisfying about finishing something or doing something where like, I know that I made the bed, you know, like I can tell when the bed is unmade and I can tell when it's finished being made. And I can tell when I start a workout and I can tell that I've completed something. And that is what helps me to feel like, okay, when all the other stuff is kind of nebulous, which there's fun and value to that too. But I find that I need a balance of things that I can be like, I did this very clear thing that I can check off. Right. And you can, and there's like a definitive like end to the thing, like, and it's done. Um, yeah, yeah that's so important. Do you, are you good at like practicing like non-attachment, not being attached to a particular outcome? Because I was reading an article about like, I think it was like seven it's like seven habits to cultivate confidence. And one of them was practicing non-attachment. And I was like, man, that of all of them, that one was the hardest thing for me because when you want something, you want it. Um, and whether it's a job or, you know, whatever the thing is, especially in a creative career where you're freelancing and taking different jobs at different times, and sending your, your packets and do or auditioning or whatever, uh, it's hard to not be attached to the outcome of getting the job. Um, have you, do you have any experience in that like non-attachment versus attachment to outcomes sort of, sort of world? Yes. I think that the only way to like get good at that is the same as everything, which is with practice. 
And mm-hmm. I have a lot of practice not getting what I want, whether it's like being in a family of three kids. So like the, somebody's going to get to play with the toy when you want to play with it to being, um, you know, the only black kid in the drama department. So you just aren't going to be in the play this year, even though everything points to, you should be, you earned it, you're entitled to it, whatever to working in a business where like there are this many jobs and this many people, huge amount of people applying for them. So like, I just like, I feel grateful. Like when I used to do more stand up and stuff, I'd be like, honestly, I feel grateful to bomb because like, then it's like you build up the muscle of bombing and it doesn't hurt you as much, you know, the next time. And I try to make sure that I stay in practice of not getting things that I want because that's not how life works. And the more that it happens, um, the more you're able to like detach yourself from it and be like, well, you know, that wasn't meant for me then. And I've had enough experiences where I've had enough experiences where the thing that I thought I wanted didn't happen. And then something way better came along and I'm like, whoo, I'm so glad that I didn't get that thing that I thought was like truly going to, you know, I thought that that L was going to ruin my life and it, it didn't at all. Yeah. How in those moments where you don't get what you want, do you do you feel bad, or are you at the point where you're like you all you already know that something better is coming your way, and so you're able to shake it off? Because for me, it's hard to not let that affect the next thing that come it's hard to like Mm -hmm. shake it and put it away and not let it affect the next opportunity or the next mm, no that you get um is there something you do like in the short term immediate when you get a no to uh comfort yourself or self-soothe in those moments yeah I will say that like in the past like I'm thinking back to my 20s like to things that are kind of trivial to me now, but that truly were like, Oh my gosh, my life is over. Like when I didn't get, like I got cut from an improv team or something like that. I was like so devastated that I just like, all I could do was cry. Or like I applied to graduate school to an MFA program and didn't get in. Like it was an alternate or something. Didn't get in. Like truly those felt like, Oh my gosh, this is like life telling me the thing that you want most to do. Like you cannot do it. And those are really devastating. And in hindsight, I'm like, it wasn't that big of a deal, but at the moment it was a very big deal. And so one part of it is learning, having had enough of those experiences that now in my mid thirties, I can be like, okay, imagine yourself 10 years from now. Are you going to care about this? And Mm. is this going to feel very small in comparison? And the answer is usually yes, or you have to hope that it's yes. And then two, I like, I let myself feel bad. Like I don't beat myself up about feeling bad. I don't beat myself up about like, I am not the person that's going to, that's like, don't worry about it. Just get back out there. You need to start writing the next screenplay right now. It's like, no, I'm going to watch six episodes of Grey's Anatomy or go to sleep or have a glass of wine and let myself feel bad because I do feel bad. And I think that prolonging the feeling bad only makes it worse, you know, the longer you wait for it. And then I'm like, okay, well now I've, I felt bad and I'll continue to feel bad for little, you know, blips of time. But what can I do? I can't, me feeling bad isn't going to change it usually. So, right. right. Do you do anything to like 
um, help you connect to yourself, whether that's like a journaling practice or therapy or meditation or anything? Like, how do you connect to like how you feel about things? I usually like will like get on like a group FaceTime or text with my sisters and like laugh about it or be like, you know, this really, I just can't like just get all of my feelings out. Like I'm very chatty. Let's say like, I'm just very like verbal. Yeah. So like leaning on community and just expressing your feelings on something. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it sounds like your family sounds incredibly supportive and um they're really wonderful. They really are truly excellent and like my parents really intentionally parented us in a way that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, it sounds like they they really thought it through and like knew like just kind of knew what they were doing. Um have you struggled with like this time during quarantine and um maybe not doing as much as you were doing pre-quarantine since you were like in pre-production and now we're all kind of slowing down or perhaps stopping doing career stuff. And how are you dealing with that? Um, it, it comes back to practice. I think being a freelancer and being a TV writer, this is like definitely not the first time that I've been like, okay, like I have a job and then I don't work for three months, four months, whatever. Like, that I'm used, I am used to having the summers off or whatever. So like, thankfully that is not an unfamiliar feeling to me. Um, and I think the theme is that like, I'm, I like a predictable situation and because I've been in this space before that part has not been hard for me. Um, and I'm used to knowing what to do with my time when I don't have work to fall back on. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess the long winded answer is no, not really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the theme of this conversation that we're having is like learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yes. That is so hard (laughs) Um, and necessary. It's even like when I was in theater school, we did Suzuki and Viewpoints, which is like I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. that at all, but it's, yeah. So it's very like physical body work. Um, and what I took away from that was like learning to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Like it doesn't, it's not just a mental state. It can, it's also a phys- like a physical state being in your body is so important. Mm-hmm. I find at least for me, like I tend to live in my head and when I live in my body, things just make sense, like intuitively just begin to make sense more. And, um, like I can ground myself in that feeling. Um, yeah. And like, I think too, as a comedian, like I, if I'm in an uncomfortable situation, like I was in a situation that was like kind of funnily uncomfortable where like, I just, it was just a, a weird hair appointment and like, it was so weird and uncomfortable, but like I found it the un- the uncomfortability, the discomfort to be so funny. And like thinking about telling about it later just like delighted me. And I was grateful to have the experience because mm-hmm. it was a new experience. And so I 
often, I think it's the writer in me. Like I always ask my wife hypothetical questions that she hates, but I'm like, what do you think we're going to say about this time period in 20 years? Like, or in 10 years, like, how do you think, what are you, the things that we're going to like, be like, you know, think are funny or are going to stand out in this period of time? Cause I, I always look forward to editorializing an experience. So part of me is sitting in the discomfort and be like, this is wild. But part of me is like, this is wild. I cannot wait to tell my sisters what happened. This is unbelievable. Yeah. God, it's such a wild time. It is such a wild time. Um, if you could give a piece of advice to your younger self or to just young folks today, whether it's about confidence or anything else, like what would you, what would you say? It's a pretty big question. It's a good question though. I always think like, for me, good advice is like, um, it's very easy in many situations and scenarios to get like, to, okay, like I said, I like to look back at things. And there are a lot of things that I can live with. One thing I cannot live with is looking back and um, thinking that I failed in the way that I failed to show compassion or communicate um, respectfully to someone. Like I always, I try to know the things that like, what are my live with, live with and what am I can't live with? Your live with and can't live with might be very different from mine, but I then know that that's a line like that, that I can be like comfortable in my behavior on those things that I know that I can't live with if I, if I do them or don't do them. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but like, there are just some things where I'm like, some things I can let go or I can be easy on myself on, or like I can only, and also I can only control my behavior. I can't control other Mm. people. And I, it, that is really hard for me to accept, but like all I can be all, if I can know that I behaved the best that I could with the resources and, and knowledge that I had in that moment, that has to be okay. And then whatever else happens or whatever else other people do that I can know that I behaved in a way that I feel comfortable with. And I try to strive for that. Fail. I fail constantly, but I try. (laughs) So it's just like, learning what you can and can't live with or what you can and can't accept even from other people too. Like learning like what boundaries you want to set with other people and what you will accept and will not accept how people treat you too. Like I feel like it goes both ways Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like I know what I can live with and what I can't live with but I feel like I could be better about communicating that to other people. What, what I will accept mm-hmm. behavior wise to me and what I will not accept behavior wise to me. Um, if that makes sense. To yes. You yes. And the biggest lesson I have learned in my, in most recent years is like, you have to teach people how to treat you and not only you have to, but you do. So you can either do it intentionally or unintentionally, mm. but you are teaching so the better option is to do it intentionally. That is so big. That's probably my biggest takeaway actually from this conversation is that you ha- you, you you're teaching people how to treat you whether it's intentionally or unintentionally and you got to make that decision which one you prefer and yeah. you know and do it. Um 
Well, I'm going to recap what I've written down for Lauren's uh, list for confidence. And you can add anything or correct me if I, if I wrote this down wrong. Okay. Responsibility, leadership growing up, strong support system, critical thinking, be adaptable, learn to feel comfort in, in uncomfortable situations, get a mentor, find a, a partner who supports who you are, surround yourself with images of diversity to help you remember that we live in the real world, exercise, mix the tangible with the intangible, practice non-attachment, quote, imagine yourself 10 years from now and if it'll bother you or not, lean on community, talk about how you feel, be grateful for the experience, learn what you can live with versus what you can't live with, remember you can only control your own behavior and intentionally teach people how to treat you. Absolutely. Does that sum up confidence for you one is there anything 100 percent. no okay great well done um you well done these are all your words I'm just jotting them down um thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today um I've been looking forward to to this talk for for oh, ever since we scheduled it so I'm I'm really glad that um that I got to talk with you Ditto. And thank you so much for letting me ramble about confidence as I literally pick my cuticles apart because I still have much work to do on that front. So I'm doing, I'm literally doing the exact same thing. So <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of how the fuck did you get so confident? I'd love to hear from listeners about things that have helped you build your confidence, whether that's a mantra, a routine, maybe a favorite book or an event that you went through, leave it in the review section. Or if you have a question regarding confidence that you'd love to hear discussed on this podcast, you can leave that in the review section as well and I'll check it out. Thanks again.